RX. This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. To Kill a Mockingbird is opening on Broadway next month. It's a new adaptation by Aaron Sorkin, the writer of many things, including as a playwright, A Few Good Men. He's the creator of West Wing and Newsroom. And Jeff Daniels is starring in this play as Atticus Finch. So we're revisiting some stories we've done about To Kill a Mockingbird. Later, we'll hear about how the world reacted and did they react to the publication three years ago of Harper Lee's other Atticus Finch vehicle, Go Set a Watchman, and how that book made generations of readers reconsider how heroic he really was. But first... To Kill a Mockingbird became a huge and immediate bestseller when it was published in 1960. It won the Pulitzer Prize and shortly thereafter became the excellent film adaptation. Everybody remembers Gregory Peck in his role as Atticus Finch. Peck is Atticus Finch, the Southern lawyer who defends a black man accused of raping a white woman in the 1930s. Now, gentlemen, in this country, Our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. Now, I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard, come to a decision, and restore this man to his family. In the name of God, do your duty. To Kill a Mockingbird is set in the fictional small town of Maycomb, which was a close copy of Monroeville, Alabama. Harper Lee was born in Monroeville in 1926 and died there in 2016. She almost never talked to the press But her relatives said that Scout, the girl in the book, is essentially the author. Atticus Finch was based on her real-life father, and Dill, the annoying kid who lived next door, was the other famous Monroeville native, Harper Lee's pal Truman Capote. Anna Boyko Wyrock poked around Monroeville in 2010 for us to see how people there feel about the book. When it first came out in 1960... Harper Lee's neighbors gave To Kill a Mockingbird a chilly reception. It wasn't that people spoke out against it. They just sort of ignored it. Reverend Thomas Butts is from Monroeville and a close friend of Harper Lee. Here was a white woman writing a book uh, in which one of the major characters was a black man. And the black man came out looking good in the book. And you didn't do that. That wasn't done. Reverend Butts who's white, was inspired by the character of Atticus Finch, but supported integration, and he had received death threats from the Klan. To him, To Kill a Mockingbird was solidarity. It wasn't as if somebody stood up and started waving a flag and said, yay, you're right. But as if somebody said in principle, you were right, you were right. I didn't care too much about it. Rufus Barnett was taking a smoke break on the sidewalk downtown. He never read the book, but he heard enough to turn him off. Because it was based on black people getting abused, and I just, I don't like to talk about it. Because 
If you talk about it, then it bring up old stupid stuff in your mind. You understand what I'm saying? Old stupid stuff is a delicate way to put it. Barnett came of age under Jim Crow. So the story of Tom Robinson, who's going to be wrongfully convicted and then killed, was a little close to home. Tom, did you rape Mayella Ewell? I did not, sir. Once the Gregory Peck movie came out in 62, tourists started coming to Monroeville. They wanted to check out the courthouse. The Hollywood set was an exact copy. It's the first book I read that had meaning in it that wasn't just like, learn my ABCs kind of book. It had meaning and it had an impact and it had a story to tell that needed to be told. Rebecca Estes was just eight when her parents read it to her, and she read it on her own at 12. Even now, in college, her peers are impressed by it. I'd go into my English classes and you'd have to introduce where you're from and every time they'd say, so tell me something interesting about yourself. And I said, oh, well, I grew up in the church where Harper Lee attended. And um, they're like, are you kidding me? Like, they, it's just kind of hard to believe. The novel's popularity has spawned a cottage industry in Monroeville. In the courthouse gift shop, you can buy all sorts of mockingbird stuff, like fleece vests and stone coasters with engraved mockingbird logos. There are murals painted on walls in town, commemorative bird baths and birdhouses, walking tours. For the past 20 years, the town has staged a play of To Kill a Mockingbird right next to the courthouse. It sells out almost always. During a normal performance, I'm the mockingbird, I'm a drunk, yeah, I'm a drunk, and uh, I play Boo. Robert Champion has played Boo Radley so many times, it's become his alter ego. Really. I've actually signed checks as Boo Radley and had them clear the bank. But in real life, his role is much more serious. And we keep all of our evidence in here. Um, it looks kind of raggedy. This is the evidence room at the police station. Champion is one of the town's detectives. The entire experience, from the book to the play to the movie, I see my life working in it every day. And it's really been helpful. The novel was effective in changing white attitudes because it was written by a Southerner, not some judgmental Yankee. It was a voice from inside the community. The first time I read it, it struck me as why people are like that. And then I had to look back at myself and I had to ask the question, why was I like that? Because not only can I identify with Boo, I identify with, with the people in it. I was selected at one time, probably, growing up, and it was just a part of the South. Scout, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Till you climb inside of his skin, walk around in it. As the years go by, and the painful battles of the civil rights era become a thing in history textbooks, even Rufus Barnett has warmed up to Mockingbird. In fact, he's decided after nearly 50 years, to give the movie a try. It was good to let people know how everything were back in the day. And I'm going to get around to watch it. I want to watch it. The older I get, the more I can think about things. And that wasn't none of me back then. That was somebody else. So we'll leave it like that. To Kill a Mockingbird is charming and moving and came along at the perfect moment, just as the civil rights movement was reaching critical mass. But not everybody loves the book. The great fiction writer Flannery O'Connor, Harper Lee's contemporary and fellow Southerner, said, 
All the folks buying the book don't know they are reading a children's book. Indeed, the book's most influential advocates over the years have been school librarians and high school English teachers. In 2009, Malcolm Gladwell published an essay in The New Yorker criticizing the book's politics. He pointed out that Atticus Finch isn't really fighting segregation at all. He just defends his innocent client. Fair enough, I guess, but the book remains a very good way to teach young people about America's history of white supremacy and injustice and occasional white heroism. I think a reason people revere the book so much is Atticus himself. He isn't just a brave man. He seems like the perfect father. And in fact, I always thought of my own Nebraska lawyer father as Atticus. There's been some high talk around town to the effect that I shouldn't do much about defending this man. If you shouldn't be defending him, then why are you doing it? For a number of reasons. The main one is that if I didn't, I couldn't hold my head up in town. I couldn't even tell you or Jim not to do something again. That's Gregory Peck and Mary Batum as Atticus and Scout Finch. A psychologist and parenting expert named Mufit James Hanush thinks we still have a lot to learn from Harper Lee's character. Our country desperately needs, needs such models, and Atticus Finch is one of them. When To Kill a Mockingbird was published, Dr. Benjamin Spock's Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care had just established the new paradigm for child-rearing. More empathy, less spanking. There were many parents, of course, that... Uh, made use of the Spock approach to become more permissive. But the Atticus Finch style of parenting moves away from permissiveness and away from authoritarian parenting. He adopts a balanced middle ground approach, which is very effective. Atticus, this widowed single father, essentially embodied a third way. Atticus Finch is a beautiful illustration of the style of parenting that is firm, flexible, affectionate, and he's able to combine the expression of love with reasonable discipline, and that's quite a balance to achieve. Curiously, especially in rural 1930s Alabama, Atticus allows his children to call him by his first name because they relate to their dad like the students of Socrates. He was also always treating them as equals. So I think the author, Harper Lee, is attempting to tell us that calling him Atticus is an indication of the democratic values that they were being raised by. You know what a compromise is? Been in law? Uh, no. It's an agreement reached by mutual consent. Now, here's the way it works. You can see the necessity of going to school. We'll keep right on reading the same every night, just as we always have. Is that a bargain? Atticus Finch's secret to good parenting? Well, it's simple, but also incredibly hard. It's uh, the moral courage that's embodied in the person of Atticus Finch, and that is transmitted to the children. I think that's the higher message, the higher moral message. 
Mufit James Hanush is a professor of psychology at Rosemont College. He's also the author of Becoming Good Parents, An Existential Journey. We spoke in 2010. There'll be more about To Kill a Mockingbird in just a moment. But first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio360Show. And now, back to the podcast. Being assigned to read To Kill a Mockingbird in junior high or high school is still a rite of passage. My name is Wes Miles, and I sing in a band called Ra Ra Riot. Miles didn't pick up To Kill a Mockingbird until after college when his mother gave him a copy. She told me that it was like one of her favorite books growing up. Scout is an interesting character because she's so innocent at the beginning of the book, so it's easy to get very attached to her. The rigidity of the people in Maycomb is what is holding them from progressing past all this ignorance and uh, racism whereas Scout makes it out with her positivity intact, with her faith and humanity intact. It's surprising that she comes out okay because reading the book, I was barely okay. Reading a story like To Kill a Mockingbird kind of shows you that Christianity has no power over this prejudice. The law has no power over this prejudice. The only thing that is going to change and let people progress is just a very simple faith in human good. At some point later in 2006, we were touring for the first time to Louisiana. And of course, the year before was Hurricane Katrina. And uh, it was still um, a bad mess just tarps, house frames and blue tarps, just a complete (laughs) non-recovery. A lot of obvious questions that were exposed after Hurricane Katrina, questions about economic disparities, racial divides in a city like New Orleans, and questions that were exposed to me when I read this book, To Kill a Mockingbird. I found it interesting that the story takes place in the 30s, and, and here we are. Things have changed, but not not enough. And so John Pike, who was the original drummer in Rara Riot, he started writing the song. Silhouettes in a window frame. It's obviously the kids running through the Radley yard and Mr. Radley pulls out his gun and he thinks he's shot a black man in the middle of the night. Meanwhile, it's just three little kids playing in the backyard. Just so strange that he just shoots blindly. Still places in the country and there's still places within people who hold on to that prejudice, who aren't challenged enough to let it go. John kind of embodies the uh, pervasive positivity in To Kill a Mockingbird. And um, John passed away in 2007. 
after a, a show in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, he was a, a powerful force of musical inspiration, someone that I that I looked up to. Each year was a song that it's about a book, but it's also like a lot of the music after he passed away, it sort of becomes about him. I get to sing it, and it's almost like a, I can sing it back to him. Wes Miles of the band Ra Ra Riot. The band song each year is based on To Kill a Mockingbird. And our story was produced by Jenny Lawton and Becky Sullivan in 2010. Has some book or movie or song or whatever changed your life? If so, we are interested in hearing about it. You can email us at incoming at studio360.org. In 2015, the book world kind of exploded over the long-awaited publication of another novel that Harper Lee had written called Go Set a Watchman. David Eulen was one of the first people to get his hands on a copy of Lee's old but newly published novel. He's a former editor of the Los Angeles Times. When we spoke in 2015, I asked for his take on the Atticus Finch portrayed in, in Ghost at a Watchman, who seems not so enlightened as the beloved Atticus Finch of To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, I have a couple things. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, it's important to remember that Ghost at a Watchman was written first. Um, you know, it was the draft that she turned in to Lippincott in 1957. That draft then went through two years of, you know, sort of revisions from soup to nuts um, and emerged as Mockingbird. Uh, it's not that there's that much overlap in terms of the narrative, although there are certain passages that are almost verbatim, but it was, you know, there's, to me, one of the most interesting things is sort of to see the development of the character and the story from Watchmen, which is really where it starts, to Mockingbird, which is the kind of conclusion of the, uh, of the journey in some way. In Watchmen, you know, it's, it's 20 years later, the mid-1950s, it's the immediate aftermath of Brown versus Topeka Board of Education. And Atticus is older. He's in his early 70s. He is uh, a segregationist. He's a member of a citizens council, which um, were sort of, you know, let's say more nuanced uh, organizations than, say, the KKK, but were there, you know, business leaders in southern towns um, set them up to sort of figure out how to maintain some of the segregationist um, social order. And the conflict of the novel is really Scout, who is an adult, and she's going by her given name of Jean Louise, but she discovers this. Uh, she discovers a racist tract in his reading and then has to kind of figure out what to do about it. You know, he, her view of him has been shattered. The problem, I think, in terms of how we're reading the book or how the book is being portrayed at the moment is that it, 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 it a lot of people, and in some ways I think Harper Collins too, is framing it as a sequel, as like an autonomous right. work in its own right. Um, you know, which is understandable since, as I said, it takes place 20 years later. But it's a more interesting question to me to look at it in terms of the progression of the character in, in Lee's imagination over and, the two years of revision. Absolutely. And, and so interesting to me because, of course, 
the the reaction that people are having now of oh my god Atticus Finch is a racist and he had these terrible beliefs at a time by the way that you know segregationists from the south were running for president and dominating the United States Senate but it seems to me that her discovery is reflected by our reaction like oh my god we're suddenly disillusioned as adults reading this book that we first read as children I completely agree. And, well, I guess to kind of historicize a literary character, you know, were Atticus Finch to have been an actual living creature, a living human, he would have been born around 1885. So that's, what, a decade after Reconstruction, he would have been born into a, you know, a wealthy landed Southern family. So to think that this guy wouldn't have had some kind of complicated, tortured relationship with race is an oversimplification of who he would have been. In that sense, I think actually the portrayal in Watchmen is probably is a more complicated, yes. nuanced, and maybe more accurate portrait yes. of, of, of Atticus, you know? Yeah. There was an interesting piece, I don't know if you've read it, by Randall Kennedy, the African-American Harvard Law School professor. I just, yeah, I just read it last night. Who, yeah. who suggests that somehow Harper Lee's original notion of having all of this in a single novel could have been a greater masterpiece than, than it was as To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, the, you know, the problem with Watchmen, to me, and, and I use that word a little loosely, because, again, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm reading a, a draft of essentially what was a work right. in progress, is that it is a young writer's effort. It's an apprentice effort. It's clunky. I mean, the plot construction is kind of clunky. The, the second, yeah. second half of the novel has virtually no narrative momentum. Yeah. And so, um, but in terms of the complications and in terms of it being, a, I mean, it's very much a book of its moment. Even the character of, of Jean Louise, who is representing, let's say, the, the more liberal viewpoint, has a lot of problems with the intrusion of the, of the Supreme Court case. She's Ms. So State's rights, are, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so these are complicated adults wrestling with the legacy of their own culture. And, you know, that is not, for, whatever, you know, for all of its many strengths, that is not the story of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Do you have, do you have children? And have they read To Kill a Mockingbird? I have two children, uh, one who is 20 and one who is 16. Both have read To Kill a Mockingbird. One, uh, my, my older one, thought it was kind of contrived and um, not, not complex enough. My daughter loved it and is very eager uh, to read the new book. Uh, and she's 16? She's 16. I think she, you know, I think she identified in, in many ways with, um, with Scout. She's, of course. As many, as many 16-year-olds are, she's a moral absolutist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I can't wait to hear how her world is rocked by reading uh, Go Settle Watchmen. We'll, we'll see. I'm, curi- I'm actually very curious for the conversation that comes <laughs> Absolutely. out of that. Absolutely. David Eulin, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. David Eulin and I spoke in 2015. He's a critic and also the author of The Lost Art of Reading, Why Books Matter in a Distracted Time. The new stage adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird opens on Broadway December 13th. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 